doing tonight? We good? Sure has been a nice weekend. I hear it's going to rain tomorrow, the one day of the spring break week that I invited youth over to my house to play outside, and it's going to rain. But uh, I guess that's how it goes. But before I, before I get into Bowline tonight, I just wanted to share with you for just a second I've been struggling somewhat on even how to develop what we were going to discuss tonight because of some of the feelings that that I've had over the last uh, really two or three days, and and it's just been I don't know I've, I've, when approaching a how to study the Bible series I, I almost almost couldn't do it this weekend because I felt so passionate about some other parts of God's Word. When, when studying some of the texts that we've had in our daily Bible reading or even my, the lesson that was taught this morning in our Sunday school class, when I was reading through, I had this great conviction that came over myself and, and that, that I pray would come over all of us. And, and it was how quickly I walk away from God's Word, and don't even reflect on what I've read. How often I open up God's Word, and and it's almost as if it had no impact on my life. And that that may seem, you may be a little hazy about that. You may say, Colby, don't even share those things with me. You're the youth pastor here. Don't share those things with you. But I want you to know That when we are not dependent on God's Spirit, when we do not cling to His Word, that it can be habitual, it can be like reading any other story. I do not want that to be my approach to God's Word. I do not want that to be what it's like when I open up this book. This morning and over the last couple days, I have read and I believe I believe that God speaks through His Word. I believe that we should put all of our eggs in the basket of God's Word. I'm so tired of trying to figure out good things to do and and strategies that would work. And, And I'm so tired of seeking those in books and wanting to hear what other people said. This weekend, and even when I was just hearing Kara sing that song, I, I want to hear God speak to me in his word. And I want that for you too. So I, I just want to pray for us before we get into how to study the parables. And look, I'm excited. I have loved doing this series. It has been so great for me. I'm, I am thankful to do it. But I want you to know that none of this matters if we do not give ourselves to the Spirit of God who he has blessed us with. None of it will make a difference if we do not give ourselves and if we are not obedient to do what his word says. So let's pray before we jump in. Lord, I am so thankful that on receiving your son, I received your spirit. Your spirit that will not let me go, it it, it will not allow me to live my life for for myself. It it will not allow me to do that. I, I need you. I want you. I I cannot function apart from you guiding me by your word. God, I pray that that is the heart of all who sit in front of me on this night. Lord, that we cling to your word, we seek it. That we believe the promises that are found in it. That we listen to Christ. That we obey what he teaches God, I pray that would be able to be said so for this congregation at Alberta Baptist Church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to open up just by introducing you to parables. I know that parables are one of the most commonly read uh, parts of our Bible. It's something that pretty much anybody that we pick out in our culture with a little bit of help, and maybe if we gave them 
you know, a, a few words and we prick them a little bit, I, I bet they would be familiar with at least one of the parables taught by Christ. I think that would be said for most people. I feel really confident for us in this room that we all are going to be familiar with at least one of the parables of Christ. We find them throughout the gospel accounts. And something that we see with Jesus is he used parables in many different ways. Sometimes they're one-liners. Sometimes they're referred to as sayings. It might be, you are the salt of the earth. We're going to look at that one in a little bit. You are the light of the world. Do not throw pearls among swine. That one's a toughie. Sometimes they come in stories. Like the prodigal son. The good Samaritan. We're going to look at those in a little bit as well. Sometimes we, we find things, we read them, and we're just confused out of our mind. Like the shrewd manager. What does that mean? Why did Jesus say that? Sometimes we read and we're familiar with, with ones like the, the sower. And we get to the end of it and we say, well, Jesus, why did you teach that? Parables are found throughout the gospel account. And for many of us, we see them and we go, oh yeah, parables, those are the easy stories you know, that we read and we know exactly what they mean because they're simple and easy. And farmers could understand it. But for those of you that have been reading through the Word, you know that it's not that easy. So tonight, I want us to, to look at why it was that Jesus taught in parables. What were some reasons why He did that? And I have five different reasons that I want to begin with and we will we'll have some... Uh, different dialogue about those. But here we go. Why did Jesus speak in parables? Number one, he spoke in ways that were familiar to his audience. Now, th this is going to be the one that I believe most of the room would give. If you said, why would Jesus speak in parables? You'd go, oh, okay, I know. It's because he spoke in a common language. In that culture, in that context, it was easy. You know, Jesus would speak in that way because the majority of people would be able to understand what he was talking about. Well, that is one truth that we find. That is one reason why Jesus would speak in parables. For most of his ministry, he was speaking to he would speak to mass crowds. Oftentimes he would leave a mass crowd and he might be around a dinner table. You might find him speaking to peasants, you might find him speaking to farmers, you might find him speaking to Pharisees have different people that he would speak to, but he would talk to them in languages that they could understand. Number one, he spoke in ways that were familiar to his audience. Number two, he spoke with parables because he could communicate truth quickly and effectively. Now, all of these I'm going to explain a little bit more. But he spoke with parables so that he could communicate a truth quickly and effectively. Like about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in a field in which one would sell all that he had to go and buy that field. Well, that was simple. That was a quick story. And it gets across a really great truth. Okay? They were quick. And they, they, they communicated a message effectively. Number three, he used the relationship between the natural in spiritual realms to make complex ideas easy to understand. Now, don't we just love this in general and with our lives? I, I love when people take something that is difficult to grasp and they illustrate it. They bring me into the story in some way. They make it real personal and real practical. They show me how to apply the teaching to my life or they teach it in such a way that I go, oh, I was complicating that so much. In many ways, that is what Jesus would teach in parables for. He would take something that was complex, that if he just began to teach them in, in, in a systematic theology language that they probably wouldn't grasp, but he would tell it in a story. He would tell it in a saying. And he would take this really complicated truth 
and relate it to them in such a way that they would walk away and grasp it. Or for some, they'd walk away and be very ignorant of the truth. We'll look at that in this next part. Number four, he spoke in parables to veil the truth from those who did not recognize his unique ministry. Now, this is where it gets fun, okay? So I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Mark 4. Because I think that for the most part in the room, we're all going to give those first three. Those are the ones that everybody grasps. They go, yeah, yeah. He spoke in parables, easy to understand. You know, to the farmers. Talks about sowing seed. That, that makes sense. Okay? They were easy to communicate. He could do it quickly and effectively. Uh, you know, he would speak so that he would take these complex spiritual truths and he, he would communicate them in an easy language. And people get that. I think most of you walk, you would walk away from here if that's all we said, and you go, yeah, I already knew that. But this fourth one, this is where when you're reading your Bible, you walk away stumped. I'll give you this scene from Mark 4. This is Jesus is about to communicate a message to a, to a large crowd. They've all gathered to hear what he has to say. They're, they're ready to hear from this Jesus. This man who they know has been doing great things. He's been healing people. and he, they, he, they, They've heard that he has a way with words, that he speaks with authority, and they're there to hear what he has to say. And Let's see what Jesus communicates to this crowd. Chapter 4, verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it, did, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that was communicated in a language that pretty much all of us can understand. And certainly in the first century, these guys would have known what he was talking about. Many of them would have been farmers who were used to sowing seed. They understood exactly what you're talking about. Okay. That was a cool story. Jesus sowed sow seed in a few different places. And sometimes it would grow when it was on good soil and the rest of the time it wasn't profitable. Thanks, Jesus. And that was the end. Interesting sermon. But the disciples, they, they weren't comfortable with just going, okay, interesting farming techniques from Jesus. Appreciate it. They weren't satisfied with that. And I want you to see what happens. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus explains to his disciples what he was saying in that parable. Now this is where it gets really confusing. Now one, probably a couple of different days over the last few years, Tammy and I have, have, uh, have had this discussion 
had this discussion with many people. It, it confuses them greatly because you hear all your life, you say, well, what we already talked about, number one, you say, well, Jesus spoke in parables because it was easy for his audience to understand. But then you read right here and Jesus says, well, the reason why I sp speak in parables is so that people will hear but not hear and see and not see. Well, that doesn't sound very nice. I mean, initially when I read this, I didn't like it. It was a few years ago, I remember, I, I had always heard, you know, when Jesus spoke in parables, to make it easy for us. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it was, so they would actually hear exactly what he was saying, but not hear what he was saying. And they would see him, but they wouldn't see. They, they wouldn't get it. And he quoted there from the book of Isaiah. It was a prophecy. There would be a day and there would be parables spoken, but they wouldn't understand. Now, why would he do that? Why would he say these things and how could, how could number four and number one that we're looking at tonight go together? And the reason is this, is we've already spent time talking about this on Sunday morning and we've spent time talking about this even on Sunday nights a couple of different times, is that spiritual truth comes from God. Spiritual truth comes from God. The natural heart does not understand the things of God. The natural man does not understand the wisdom of God. It is only the Spirit of God who understands the wisdom of God. And we have to have the Spirit in us to unlock spiritual truth. So why did Jesus tell these parables? And it was for this very reason. It was because there were those in each of the crowds that he would speak to that understood him to be who he said that he was. They understood him to be the Messiah. One we looked at just this morning. In a day where, just like in our day, many people are saying who they think Jesus is. You know, who do you think Jesus is? Oh, he's a good teacher. You know, oh, he's a good prophet. Or like in the first century there, he's Elijah, he's John the Baptist, whatever. It doesn't really matter what we think about Jesus. It matters who Jesus is. And right here in this passage with the sower, you find at least one person whom I am very aware of and who we read about this morning who is going to come to the conclusion, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You are the one that is bringing the kingdom. You're the one that we've been waiting on. You are the Messiah. You are the promised one. That's you, Jesus. And just like this morning, what, what did Jesus say to him? He, he says, man did not reveal that to you. That was revealed by God. See, for those who understood Jesus and his ministry, they understood the parables. They desired to know what he was saying. And for some of them, like in this occasion, they went after him and said, Jesus, we need to know more. Please explain. The rest of them went about their day and were like, okay, well, I guess I'll go farming this afternoon. You know, they, they didn't know. And I think there's several reasons for that. I think, I think we could come up with different reasons to say, well, this is why in that occasion there were only some that believed. Maybe it wasn't the time. You know, Jesus, a lot of times, he would, he would say, my time has not yet come. Maybe we don't have to have a reason. Maybe we just hear his word and we see what it says. And right here, it's very clear that for those who don't have spiritual eyes, parables didn't make any sense. They walked away with just face value. They didn't get it. They went about with their life. So he spoke in parables to veil the truth from those who did not recognize his unique ministry. Let me make the point. Jesus Christ desires for his message to be made known. Jesus Christ 
desires for his, for the truth about his life, death, and resurrection to be made known to the whole world. He is not a God of confusion. He's a God of clarity. He's a God who has spoken to us and we have exactly what we need. He is not a God of confusion. Please know that. And the purpose of parables, despite what you will find in several parts of church history, the purpose of parables is not to have some kind of secret code for us to sit back and try to figure out how to unlock. Parables are are not... Uh, it is not a parable is not a synonym for an allegory. You you have allegorical uh, parts to some of the parables, but a parable, for the most part, is not a, a a story that has a bunch of hidden truths that we've got to try to seek out. That's not the primary purpose that you will find with a parable. Parables were stories told that typically involved very straightforward truth. Usually one point, one punchline. We'll see that in just a second. He spoke in parables to veil the truth for those who did not recognize his union ministry. Uh, number five, with parables he created a fictional world that slipped past prejudices and misconceptions concerning God's kingdom. Turn with me to Mark 12. I'll show you a, a very strong example of this. And we'll move quickly. It, Mark 12, verse 1, it says, And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, so they beat, and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyards to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Now if you read this in, a, in another account, Jesus is telling this story, and they are all in. The people listening to this, they're into this story, and they're following along, and they get so angry. How could that happen? How could somebody reject someone in that way? And then Jesus dropped the passage about the cornerstone and they realized that he was speaking about them and they became angry. See, he told a story that that they involved themselves in. But then they realized that he was talking about them and so they got mad. See, Jesus was able to tell parables, and one of the reasons was because he could do just that. He was able to slip past some of the walls that kept people from listening to the message that Jesus was communicating. And a lot of times we see this when Jesus is speaking to people who are in great conflict with him. Just a note to self, a lot of the parables will fall in these categories. One is going to be parables of the kingdom of God. A lot of those you'll find in the Sermon on the Mount. You'll find them like in Matthew 13. Other parables come in the form of a story. And most of the time, those are dealing with conflict that Jesus has with religious leaders. We'll look at some of those in in a little bit as well. But what Jesus does is he uses parables very, very effectively. And know this about him. He does not waste words. He does not say things 
just to tell a funny story or a good story. He tells things because he's communicating an ultimate truth about himself and his kingdom. Jesus would speak, it was for great purpose. The story parables function, most of them function for this. For They're a call of response. He tells them and he, uh, he demands a response from the readers. And these stories always had a way of, of bringing a, a punch. You know, there was like a punchline, a, a way of capturing the hearer so they got in the story and then they were greatly affected because it became personal. This call for a response is one of the great dilemmas that you and I have when we come to study the parables. And so I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the issues that we have when studying parables. Why they're so hard for us to break down. Why they're so hard for us to, to have, uh, to, to read and walk away from feeling what the first century hearers felt. For in some ways, to break down or to dig deep in a parable, it actually removes the original impact that first century hearers would have had. Uh, To try to explain this, I'll I'll do it in this way. Think about it like when you hear a joke. Okay? How many of you, is anybody in this room, would you be bold enough to say that you're good at telling jokes? Tyler Burns. Oh, man. Are you serious? Uh, You are, Tyler. You're awesome at telling jokes. I I am a horrible person at telling jokes. I I love to try to be witty and try to be those things. I I make and do that sometimes, but I cannot tell jokes. I am a terrible person at telling jokes. I make them too long and nobody gets them. Okay? They they never get them. And, you know, and, and with a joke, the only way to feel the punch of a joke or to laugh the way that you're supposed to laugh when you hear the joke is for you to understand uh, the different parts of the joke. To You, you must understand the, the, the points of, of context or there's, there's a word that I am, I am looking for right here, the points of reference. The only way that we're going to really understand is to understand the points that the person telling the jokes is talking about. I don't know about you, but I have been caught Numerous times, okay, more than I would like to tell you, uh, in the room when somebody's telling the joke, I didn't really get it, but I was doing the little fake laugh, and it was so fake that they actually called me out and were like, Colby, you know what I'm talking about? And I was like, yeah, man, that's why I'm laughing. No, you don't understand what I'm talking about. You know, uh, recently, Catherine and I have, we, we do this, we don't watch much TV, okay, we just don't, I don't, I don't, we don't really have time, but Netflix is a beautiful thing. And we have been getting into the show that I think is now five seasons in, the show Psych. Okay? Psych is hilarious. I love Psych. It is really, really funny. The main character, Sean Spencer, he constantly speaks in this witty language that revolves around 1980s dialogue. Okay? It's, it's always 1980s something. Well... I know I just turned 28 last week, which would place me as being born in the 1980s. I was born in 1983, but I'm about five to seven years short of being able to understand Sean's jokes. I get about maybe, this, this is, I'm, I'm going to go with this number, this is really too high. I understand about half of the jokes that he tells, and the rest of them I still find a bit funny, but oftentimes what we'll do, I've... Catherine has been on her phone or on the internet looking up things that he said so that we could eventually laugh together. You know what I mean? I know it was funny. It had to have been, but I don't get it. Uh, You know, those kind of things. Listen, here's the reason why I'm telling this story. There's oftentimes, and you and I can, we can come together and we we can think about times that that we have heard something but we didn't get the punchline. We knew it was supposed to be funny, but we didn't really find it as funny. We didn't laugh the way that the, the person that was telling the joke desired us to laugh, okay? They want us to be on the floor laughing, and we're just kind of going, hmm. Uh, you know, we don't really get it. But with the jokes, and specifically with us in this show, we can go online, we can read about the reference that he 
that he made, and then we can see, oh, I get it, that's why that was funny, okay? That is pretty funny, yeah, laugh, laugh. But we don't laugh the way that we would have if we had originally understood, if we had lived in the moment of the 80s, okay, and enjoyed it, we would be dying laughing while watching Sean Spencer and his wittiness, okay? We would think it was hilarious, but since we didn't, we're having to go back and study about why it was funny. Well, for us, when we come to parables, let's just be real for a minute. None of us were born in the first century. We weren't. None of you were born in the first century. Not even close. Some of you may feel like you were born in the first century, but you were not born in the first century. You're not even close to that, okay? None of us in this room, let me look. None of us were born in Jerusalem. None of us were born in Nazareth. None of us, some of us may have gone there before. I have not. I would love to. But you're not from there. You weren't born there. You're not in that culture. In fact, to get in that culture, really, the true culture that's found in this scripture, we got to go back 2,000 years. we got a problem. See, the original hearers, when they were listening to Jesus and when he was teaching in parables, which, by the way, was a very common way to teach, they understood the elements. They understood the points of reference. So when he was telling things, they were going, okay, yeah, yeah, I got that, got that, got that. What? Are you kidding me? But for us, we're reading it and we don't even get it. We have to go to a commentary. We have to go to a historical book. We have to go and break down what it is that they actually heard so that we can understand the impact that the parable had on their life. And that's all before we can go to see what it's speaking to us. So tonight what I want us to do, let me see how your, uh, how your stuff is set up. Go, go with me right there to the next blank after number five. Our main goal get here to my to my notes. Our main goal in reading, studying, and interpreting the parables will be to understand what the original original listeners caught when they heard the parable. Or what we would have caught if we had been there with them. Our main goal will be how to recapture the punch of the parables in our own times, in our own setting. How do we do that? Okay, how can we possibly recapture the points of reference? How can we recapture the things that they would have understood then? So that we may recognize the unexpected turns that come in the stories that Jesus told. We can do this by, go to your, to your point A there. We will be looking at the context that the parable is spoken in. So first, we need to be aware of the context of the parable. Secondly, we need to be familiar with the original audience that heard the parable. Now, I am I'm assuming that when you are hearing me tell you these things, that these are just obvious. Okay? Sometimes the best things we can do or come back to the obvious. For us to truly understand the parables, for us to, to read them and try to recapture the punch, we've got to understand the context. We've got to understand where they were, who was around, what's the setting like? And we've got to understand who is he speaking to, who is listening in the background. To do this, I'm going to use a, a, few different, uh, a few different stories. I think you'll enjoy this. We'll just go back and, and, and take some notes, uh, some examples to look at. First, let's do narrative parables. These are parables that Jesus told, and they typically are pretty long stories. Uh, the first one, the Good Samaritan. Go with me to Luke 10. A couple of summers ago, I was greatly, greatly impacted by the study of parables. Uh, two, two in particular that just completely rocked my world. Was the Good Samaritan and the prodigal son. We'll, we'll look at, for just a moment at these. And, and what I'm doing tonight, this is not teaching you this passage. 
Okay, this is not a sermon on the Good Samaritan or a sermon on, uh, you know, the, the prodigal son. That's not what we're doing. I'm wanting to bring you up. This is how we approach when we want to study this text. Okay, when we go to read this, this is how we are going to approach it. So let's look at first the Good Samaritan. Now, the problem with the Good Samaritan is that for... I don't know, I don't want to say all of us, but for the great majority, you have so many preconceived ideas, uh, so you have so many things that you think about, about the Good Samaritan that you have heard throughout your life. Most of them are probably great, by the way. This is not a bad thing. But you think about cartoons that you watch with the Good Samaritan, you have, you know, focus on the family videos, you have different things that just stay in your mind. And for some of you, you may have like just an awesome, life-changing sermon that you heard at some point. But we come into it with preconceived notions or ideas, and what we need to do is, is make sure that we hear what the original hearers heard. My point is this. For us in the room, we think of this story in terms of good and bad. We think of the good Samaritan. The bad religious people. The good Samaritan. The bad religious people. Bad priest, bad Levite, good Samaritan. But that is not even close to what anybody in this culture and context would have thought. Good and Samaritan didn't go together. Samaritans were looked at as half-breeds. Nobody liked them. The Jews couldn't stand them. But the Samaritan becomes the hero of the story. Wow. Now see, for us, we don't get the punch. We just read about it and we're like, oh, that's a pretty cool story. You got these two guys that ignore, you know, ignore the man that was beaten up, and then you got this third guy who stops and helps him. We should be like the third guy and help people. There's an element of truth to that. Okay? But we're missing the punch. The punch was not just that somebody went and helped the guy that was beat up. The point was who helped the guy? And see, what happens in the story is you have a lawyer. This is a guy who loves the law. He knows the law. He teaches the law. And specifically, the religious law, the Mosaic law. This guy is asking a question to Jesus. And he ends up getting to this question. He says, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells him this story. Now, the lawyer, what he desires is this with his question, is he wants to find out that his neighbor is his, somebody from his family, somebody that looks just like him and talks just like him. He wants to find out that his neighbor is somebody who's really easy for him to love. But that's not the story that he's given. It's not what Jesus tells him. What Jesus tells him is this, is the neighbor that is shown in the story, the one who moves to the need of someone else, is actually not somebody like the lawyer at all. It's like the very person that he can't stand. It's the very person that he thought had no good in them at all. So for us, for us to understand and to feel the punch, we don't want to distort this. Okay? We don't want to take this and make our own story up. That's not what we want to do. But it is safe at times. I, I used to feel scared about this, but it is safe for us to study the context, study the culture, and then try to create a modern-day example of this. And I want to be honest with you. The modern-day examples are ones that some of you even would be angry when you heard them. See, what we might find is something like this. Maybe we would see someone beaten up, someone hurt, laying on the ground, and right beside that person comes walking a well-respected pastor. 
He walks by him and keeps on going. Then walking beside him, a well-respected seminary professor walks by and looks at the man, keeps going on his way, and then all of a sudden, rushing to the need of the man, a fundamentalist Muslim who makes his way. A fundamentalist Muslim who goes and approaches this man and picks him up and helps him, takes him to the hospital and picks him up. And there would be people who would be so angry. Because what I, what I didn't tell you about this, and what you don't understand when you originally read it, is that the, the feelings that they had about the Samaritans would be the equivalent that some have about fundamentalist Muslims. It would be that kind of feeling. Another way when we read this story is to see a big picture. A big picture. We feel the the punch, but we must realize when we read this story, this is a picture of grace. It's not only just a story that we can tell and, and substitute people in and out of, but it's also it's a story that is going to unlock for us a picture of grace. And we'll see that, that for us, beaten up, laying on the road dead. You know, we know that God wasn't dead, but the Bible tells us that there we are, dead in sin, unable to respond, and an unexpected enemy of ours comes and rescues us. Now, I realize that there is the, <laughs> the issue with having Jesus be our good Samaritan and having the good Samaritan be a fundamentalist Muslim, but you understand, one, why it is somewhat dangerous to fiddle around with passages, and two, that we need to read them how the original, we need to read and understand it and hear it the way that the original audience would have heard it, and I believe that both of those ways can picture that truth. A second example is the prodigal son. So turn with me to Luke 15. <clears throat> the prodigal son is very easy to read and understand. There's actually three parts of the story. It talks about the, a, a lost sheep who was found, and then there's a celebration, a lost coin... Is found, and there's a celebration. Then there's a lost son who is found, and there's a big celebration. Most of the time, people read these stories, and they come to the conclusion that this story is about that, that God comes after the lost. Well, that's, that's true, is it not? Absolutely, it's true. And they come to the conclusion, when reading the lost son, that this story is about how God goes to the immoral those who have been radically rebellious and who have ran away and whom he has sought after, puts them in his loving arms and, and takes them back with himself. Well, that also is true. All of us, all humanity, is radically rebellious from God. We're enemies, that's what it says. That's true. But that's not the main point of the story of the prodigal son. The main point of the prodigal son can be found only in its context. And when we study the context, we find out that there is a prior conversation that has taken place before Jesus ever tells the story. Look with me really fast. I just want you to see how we come to this conclusion. We're not just saying these things. I'm not just saying these things. It is written in the scriptures. Look at chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Now, if you want to get an even better view, go back to chapter 14 and read it. Hear Jesus giving all of these great costs to following him and what it is to be a disciple. And then he gets to the end of it. 
And it says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the next verse tells us there were tax collectors and sinners who were drawing near to hear. That's awesome. But right after that, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. It is from that comment that Jesus tells us three stories. So the story is not primarily about that God goes after the son that ran away from home. The primary part of the story or the point is that there was an older brother that was, was at home the whole time who did good, who tried to always obey the father, but he didn't care about the father. And he didn't care about his brother who had returned. So what the story focuses on is actually not the sinners and the tax collectors, but it focuses on the religious, on the Pharisees and the scribes who believed that there was no room for grace in the lives of sinners and tax collectors. That's the punch. That's the punch. Okay? Another example. Let's move on this. This is uh, parables that are found outside of historical context. Let's look at Matthew 18. Go there real fast. What time is it, Larry? Five till. Are you kidding me? Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'll tell you what, <laughs> for, for the purpose of our time, let's do this. You go back and you read those examples, okay, but I'm going to give you a couple of things. The parable of the lost sheep, yeah, let's do that, let's do that one. Matthew 18, sorry, Matthew 18, verse 12. Now this is the same lost sheep that we find, same story that we find in the, the, with the prodigal son in Luke 15, but it's in a different spot here in Matthew and let's see what it says. Look at verse 12 through 14. It says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So he tells almost the same way. But it's outside of the context that we find in Luke 15. So how do we read a passage or read a parable when it's not in its historical context? Well, right here we're going to look around and we're going to see, okay, so, so Jesus is saying that, that God has a heart for the lost. That's good. That's good. But look at it a little more deeply. If we read the whole passage, if we read all of chapter 18, look with me at verse 6, or 5 through 9. Look at this. It says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. It's not good for you to cause one of these little ones to sin. But what is good, look at verse 10, is that you see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. Then he says, what do you think? And then he tells a story about the sheep. And so what we see is that he is placing this in the context of people who he's saying, okay, God cares about the little ones, okay? He cares about the people who the gospel is given to. He cares about the people that they would hear and that they would believe, that they would understand that God has a heart for them, that he wants them to be rescued. He cares about them like that shepherd cared about the one sheep. In fact, he is the good shepherd, okay? And, and so you see it in that context. So it's, we don't, we don't cause one of them to fall, but we go after them with the truth of God's grace. A couple more and we'll, and we'll be finished. Parables about the kingdom of God. Look with me at Matthew 5. We'll close with these. And there's so much that can be said about this, but we'll, we'll just look at Matthew 5, verse 
verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. People will read this, uh, this parable and they will say, well, well Jesus is saying this. Uh, he's talking about salt, and salt is blank, 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 blank. Light can refer to blank, 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 blank. Therefore, we do this. And there's all these sermons, and a lot of them are very good, and there's lots of thoughts on this. But when Jesus tells this parable, he, he makes it very simple. He makes it very bold. He says that if salt or light, if they do not accomplish the very purpose in which they were created for, they are worthless. Think about that in light of the kingdom of God. What were you created for? What does God desire from your life? What does he command of us? And we find descriptions of that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The very context in which that passage is found. I have others. We don't have time. I'm sorry. I hope I have said some things that you're going to be able to walk away from and, and understand more clearly. Parables are very difficult. It's a lot of different kinds, lots of different places that we find Jesus speaking in them. And it is going to be, and know this, walk away tonight with this truth, is that for us to grasp what it is and to feel the punch, it is going to be when we rely on the Spirit of God as we seek to hear what the original hearers heard. what it's going to be. So I pray that you will you'll look at those examples and you'll look at some of the others that we didn't go through and, uh, and that you will, on your own time and as you read, that, that you will seek out um, what the original hearers would have heard. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your word. Uh, I, I pray that tonight that no one would have heard about the parables and walk away believing that you're a God who desires to confuse us because that's not true at all. You're God who very clearly has spoken about your ways. You're very clearly spoken about your son and what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. And I pray that for us that we would recognize the truths that are found in your word. That they would be burned on our heart seek you and that we would serve you with all that we are. I pray this in Jesus' name.